Welcome to the Inspire People Impact Lives podcast. This podcast is for people who are looking to get more out of life by making an impact on those around them. Each week, we bring you local, influential business and community leaders, delivering powerful messages to help you live a more inspiring and impactful life. Coming to you live from Northwestern Mutual Middleton, here's your host, Josh Kosnick. Welcome to another episode of Inspire People Impact Lives. I'm your host, Josh Kosnick. And by trade, I'm a financial advisor and by training now a leader and at Northwestern Mutual Managing Partner. So today, really excited to uh, introduce our special guest, Joe Boucher. Joe is co-founder of Nieder & Boucher, teaches at the UW-Madison Business School, which I find interesting that it's not the law school, it's the business school. Right. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Authored several books and articles on uh, LLCs and uh, a bunch of stuff that I don't even know about. But Chad put it in notes, but I can't even pronounce it. But currently in included in the Wisconsin Super Lawyers list and the best lawyers in America. Name the best lawyers 2017 and 2019 closely held companies and family business lawyer of the year for Madison. So highly esteemed lawyer here in, in Madison. And, uh, you know, I've gotten to know Joe and his family over the years. His son played with uh, with my little brother, on which our audience has heard Jordan a couple of times. So know the family well and know that uh, he's done great work here in Madison. So without further ado, Joe, glad to have you here. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, when I, I've seen some of these uh, online and I thought, then there was a something about if you're interested, I said, what the heck? And of course, I knew your family, knew your younger brother a little bit better because yeah. he was in class with my son, Willie. So I thought that'd be great. So, yes, thank you very much. You bet. So let's have a good conversation today. Right. And, he, and Joe introduced this topic to Chad and I with legacy, and it's one of my favorite topics. So I'm excited to dive in. Um, but before we do that, why don't you tell the audience, besides what I said about your bio, tell <laughs> the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, thanks. So, you know, the, the beauty of the world we live in now there's LinkedIn, right? And so for people who really want to see all the P's and Q's of my, I guess, the detail of my uh, professional bio, you can see it there. You know, you mentioned some of the things. I've been a lawyer now for 42 years. I have an MBA. I'm a CPA. And all those things are on LinkedIn. But what honestly I'm proudest of is that I'm a family guy. You know, uh, I'm a granddad now of five children, uh, five grandkids. I'm a father of three. I have an unbelievable spouse who's also a lawyer, a state planning lawyer. Uh, as you may know, uh, and your brother knows, she played the piano at Edgewood for years and years for the, the everything there. And so we are very active. I'm proudest of being a family person, to be honest, a husband, a dad, a friend. That's what I'm proudest of. And that doesn't, that texture doesn't show up on LinkedIn, right? Yeah, right. What shows up on LinkedIn is important stuff. Don't get me wrong. I'm proud of those things. But I'm proudest of uh, being a good person and being a family guy and uh, and those types of things. That's what I'm proudest of. Well, and that's and those are the things that are you know, at the end of the day, when we're talking about legacy, those are the people who are going to be in the room with you anyhow. Right. Not not uh, you know possible possibly some colleagues, but certainly probably not clients in the periphery of uh, right. of uh, the LinkedIn world. So that's right. that's the right focus anyhow. So. You've been playing a huge role working throughout Madison with businesses in the startup community, uh, in, in, in bigger businesses than the startup right. community, um, teaching, coaching, mentoring. Um, so all of that, what I was thinking about is, what did the word legacy mean to you early on mm -hmm. in your career versus right. what it means to you today? Yeah, but you know, I wanted, I'll answer that question. I thought a bit about this, um, but I also wanted to go backwards just a step and say, you know, I think, I look at my like, life now like an evolving situation, right? <laughs> um, I'm 67 years old. 
I'm a lot different than I was two years ago. I think I'm different than I'll be two months from now. And so, you know, and we're born, we get these genes, right, from our parents. And I was blessed. I have two, I have two wonderful parents. Um, and you get, you get this genetic package and then you grow up in a family, right? And I'm the oldest of five kids. And one of the first major events in my life was my brother, who's three years younger, is developmentally disabled, my brother Paul. And I think Jordan probably met him, your brother yeah, met him, yeah. because we brought him to all these Edgewood events. Chad, you may have met him. But that's an imp I mean, I'm three, right? And I have a brother who's got a developmental disability and you don't know, I mean, you're three years old. You don't know what's wrong, but you know something's wrong, right? Just know he's different. There's no he's different. And in between us is another brother. So there's three boy Irish or Irish triplets, right? Three boys in like three years. And so all of a sudden my mom has to spend all her time with Paul. You know, I'm kind of, I'm a, a stealth starter anyway, but you know, I'm three. My dad's gone all the time because he's working at our family business. So early on, you're kind of, fending for yourself and this I, I was I'm a boomer right I grew up in the 50s there were kids everywhere so you're hanging out with your buddies so you're building this kind of um, uh, culture um, and, and you're affected by this brother and, yeah. and, 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 and frankly tremendously so so you know for example you start evaluating what your strengths and weaknesses are I just trust everybody I just trust everybody and I you know and Paul is that kind of guy Paul just trusts everybody now once in a while you know here and there I get burned by that right but for the most part trusting everybody has been a really important characteristic mm -hmm. not everybody's that way the brother between us my brother Patrick doesn't trust everybody he's kind of a you know more he doesn't trust more of a skeptic yeah. but I was born with this trust gene right I trust and so you start learning your your characteristics you start learning your um, strengths and weaknesses. You start learning how to make judgments. You know, I, I was listening to an NPR piece the other day talking about how people redirect people online because they're about to commit suicide and what, they Google something and they try to send them to a suicide prevention thing. Yeah. We're all kind of impulsive. I'm kind of an impulsive, excitable guy. You can see that in my voice here. So the question is, do you make good judgments all the time with that impulse? And you have to learn over time how to make judgments. So when you, know, when you hear the word legacy, legacy as a lawyer, I'm a lawyer after all, trained as a lawyer, means what do you give the next generation, right? It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's almost a property, right? It's a property kind of thing. But I hope I don't look at it that way. I look at it as a feeling kind of thing. What do I leave to people in terms of impressions? And I hope they're positive, right? I hope they're motivational. I hope I give more than I take, right, kind of thing. So I, even as a kid, I realized, geez, you know, I have a chance to make a difference. Now, I also learned I wasn't the smartest kid in my grade school class, and I went to the small Catholic grade school. I wasn't the best athlete in my grade school class. So I also learned early, I had to be on a team, right? I wanted to be on a strong team, and I wanted to be on a winning team. And I realized I could contribute to that team, but I probably wasn't gonna be the smartest person necessarily, and I wasn't gonna be the best athlete necessarily. So I said, geez, this is a good thing. So even when I was a kid, and then, you know, you're, you're impacted by major events in your life. My dad died when I was a high school kid. Hmm. And my dad owning this bakery, you know, you, you know you're, you're in the advice business, right? We're in the advice business, those of us sitting here, right? Yep. How do you measure what's the value of advice when you give it away? It's hard to measure, right? It's easy to measure the value of a donut. So my dad gave donuts away. When my dad's funeral came around, it was just packed in Marinette, this small town. Why? Because he had been so generous to people. You know, but it was obvious generosity, yeah. right? It was my message. It was yeah. obvious generosity. So I grew up in this- They're tangible gifts. It was tangible, yeah. yes. Yeah. And I grew up in this family that was just generous. 
my mother, I mean, she was taking care of Paul and Paul was a challenge. And so I was aware early on that this was meaningful. This was meaningful, you know, to be able to reach out to people and help. So, you know, but then my dad dies and I get to college and I need, I need a mentor. So that's the current word for it, right? But I just, I found a, a English teacher at St. Herbert College. Ken Zahorsky is his name, he's still living. He was a young professor there. He taught English and I was in math, you know, and science and stuff, but he was fantastic. So I took every class he taught, but I go to his, his room, his office, and just, I needed help, right? I'm a young guy. I could go the wrong direction easily, you, you know? You lost your I lost my dad, lost my dad. dad. So I went to Ken and I looked for him and he was really helpful to me. Now you have friends, right? And my friends were a big part of my life, but friends are doing impulsive, stupid things too at age 20, right? We all are. And I needed somebody older than me saying, yeah, shake me up, not, not a good idea. So then I get to Madison, same thing happened. I wrote a letter to everybody in Madison. At the point I came here and when I was 22, I thought I wanted to be a college athletic director or a pro sports guy because I played college football. That's what I thought I wanted to be. So I went to MBA school, right? I wrote everybody in the Madison area a letter saying, I want to coach, I want to do this and that. The only guy to return my message, Joel Maturi of Edgewood High School. So in the fall of 74, I coached at Edgewood. Now I had gone to a Catholic grade school in high school and college, to be honest. So it was natural to be interested in Edgewood. But Joel was the only guy to respond. <laughs> So I met Joel Maturi. Now, you know Joel now. Joel's a respected former athletic director. I met him when he was, what, 28? And I'm 22. You know, and I started coaching at Edgewood. And it was meaningful. But they were mentors to me, right? And I met a whole bunch of young people, typically young guys, who were motivated like me. You know, and I met them there. And I got to coach. And I met all these. And so then I realized, I don't think this is what I want to do. So I switched to law school, met my wife the first day in law school. But at each one of these steps, so my dad's death had a major impact on my life. My brother's birth had a major impact on mm -hmm. my life. So when you talk a le legacy, I don't know if I ever thought of it that way. It's just kind of, a, you're evolving as a person, right? Yeah. You're evolving as a person, but you're realizing you're having an impact on people. I was the high school class president. You know, I was the captain of the football and basketball team. So obviously some people thought I was, you know, leadership some leadership there. But I didn't think of it as a legacy thing. I thought of it as I'm having an impact. I can help. I can do positive things, you know. And so it just kind of evolved you know, yeah. over time. You know, it evolved over time. So that's an awesome backdrop. So now how do you think about legacy? Now that you have all those points of reflection, all these impacts yeah. that have had on you and you've had on others, what does legacy mean to you today? Yeah, so let me just, again, answer it by going back just a little bit. So I also realize you're a young parent. I realize, I don't know what Chad's status is, but you're a young parent. And I have two children with kids, you know, five grandkids. And I said, I have to figure out how I'm going to make an impact on my children. And it's not just going to be, do I make sure they get a great education? Do I not, all these other things. But do we do meaningful things together that they can remember us by? Experiences. Experiences. Yeah. So I've always believed in experiences. It, is not, it just didn't happen to me in the last couple of years, which is the current trend. So we started early on doing things with the kids, national parks. We started going to national parks when they were little. Uh, every summer, we took two weeks going to national parks. The oldest daughter, Ellie, who's in DC now, a lawyer in DC, loves music like my wife does. So was musical theater, was plays. So we've picked out things for each of the kids that really were meaningful for them and made sure we did those things with them. So, you know, in terms of legacy, I, I, it's again evolved, but I tried to have a meaningful impact. So did Susan on our children. Susan uh, played the piano for years at Edgewood. She wanted to do that. I coached sports for a reason. I wanted to be with my children. 
I wanted to have a meeting. But see, that was spurred by a death. You talk about impacts. So in the mid 80s, I was now a young lawyer, had a very successful practice. I was traveling all over the country, buying and selling companies and, and doing, it was fun stuff. And at this point, we had two children, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. I got to the airport in Madison in the summer of 86, about this time. I get to the airport, Susan picks me up with the two girls and our friend Jenna, and they just look like death warmed over, because it was. Our nanny at our home that day died. At your home? At our home. Oh. She died at our home when our one-year-old was there, our three-year-old was with this other young lady, and I got home and I realized I can't do this anymore. I can't travel, I've gotta be home. That was a huge event in my life. It changed my focus for the next 20 years. I said, you know, I'm too important to the family, it's too important to me, I can't leave. So my business had to take second place, and it always did, but it really did when that happened. Yeah. I stopped leaving from business. I just stayed home. I tried to build a practice and frankly, it hurt income, but I didn't care. Income is secondary, family's first. So for the next 15 or 20 years, I coached sports, I did all this stuff, so did Susan. We built a law firm and it, it did fine, but it wasn't, but then once Willie went to college in 2006, it said, geez, I can start doing this again. And so it started really, you know, kind of turbocharging the, the practice a little bit. But for those 20 years, it was family first. Mm -hmm. It was family first. Now when the kids are gone, you, you know, when the kids live at home, you have minutes with them. You have minutes with your kids now, right? Yeah. Hour here. Now I have days because none of them live here. So right. I have to, I'm leaving today for DC. I have days with my kids and grandkids, not minutes. So from 2006 on, I started figuring out how can I have an impact on my career and I'm gonna spend days with my children. So we go for days to see the kids. Yeah, you say you're going out there for a couple of weeks. Yeah, well, we're going up there for five days, but I took the grandkids for 10 days in May while our daughter went to France. So I take two, three months off a year now to be with kids and travel and, but you gotta figure out how to work that in, right? Yeah. And build a career. But family was had always to be number one. Experts say that you are the average of the five people you hang out with and the books that you read. We'd like to suggest the podcast that you listen to as well. So hit that subscribe button and add Madison's top leaders to your circle. We'd also encourage you to share this podcast with as many friends as possible. Our mission is simple, to inspire people and impact lives. If you know of a friend or colleague that could benefit from listening to some of Madison's top leaders, give us a share. Now, back to our guest. So, I mean, how lucky can a guy get? I mean, the first day of law school in 1975, I, I meet Susan. I hear her say that she went to St. Arbor College, and I had gone to St. Arbor College, and boy, I didn't meet her there, and I wondered, how could this be? And we started talking, and we've been together since the fall of 75, all these years later, and you know, without her, I mean, you know, we talked about team. It sounds corny to talk about a marriage as a team, but it's, a, it's teamwork. And she's hardworking, smart. Obviously, we're attracted to each other. It's just been wonderful. You know, so I, I'm an excitable guy. I say something. Sometimes I say I and me, and, and that's not fair. It's we. It's we, the two of us do this stuff. And these decisions are mutual. We work hard at it. I, I'm so darn lucky, I can't tell you. So she's fantastic. I can't say enough good things. So in answer to your question, you create a legacy by giving. See if you're a giver. I want to be with people who are givers. You guys are givers. You guys are givers. You're doing this. Sure, it helps your business, but you're a giver, yeah, right? Trying to give back. If we give back, if we give back, if we... And so early on, I realized, again, back to my brother Paul. My brother Paul's got a disability. You know, I don't. I'm in a better place, so I've got to take advantage of that. So, for example, a week from tomorrow, Friday, I'm taking him on a five-day trip. Every year, I take him on a trip. And I see him multiple times a year. This year we're taking a driving trip. I've taken him to LA, San Francisco, 
Pittsburgh, all over the country, I've taken him on trips, he and I. What do you guys like to do? Well, he loves trains. Does he? And he loves music. So I've taken him to Nashville a couple times. I've taken him on train rides all over the country. This one won't be in trade. As he gets older, he's less mobile, yeah. so he can't quite get around as well. So it's a it's a driving trip this time. But he loves music. He loves seeing stuff. He loves. He lives in a group home in Marinette. He just likes getting away. But here's the impact my brother's had. Two years ago this summer. So let me set a picture for you. Main Street, USA, Marinette, Wisconsin. Our house is 1386 Main Street. Two blocks down the river is. Um, Goodwill Industries, where my brother Paul used to work for 44 years, okay? Mm. Next door to Goodwill is the fire department. Mm. Paul spent 35, 38 years of his life going to the fire department two out of three days because <laughs> those firefighters loved him and, he, and, and vice versa, right? They just loved him. I mean, Paul's like me, out there, full of stories, fun guy to be with, but you know, he's got a disability, right? Couldn't happen in Madison or other big cities, right? They wouldn't let a person in the fire department right. who doesn't work there, right? right. So two years ago, about this time of the year, they had the 150th uh, uh, anniversary of the Marinette Fire Department. And they sent us an email saying, we're gonna honor Paul, a special surprise honor for Paul. Can you come? So So we drive up to Marinette, the whole family goes up there and at three o'clock on the dime, they have a ceremony. Paul is our favorite non-firefighter. And they give him a helmet, they give him a shirt, they have a ceremonial fire pole in a room where they all sign a wall saying they re, the retirees, he signed that. And then they gave him a ride home in the fire truck. How, this is Paul. How big was the smile on his face? Oh, he was in tears like I am. It was unbelievable. So we went to see him the 4th of July, had a little time. We drove up to Marinette for the 4th of July, spent some time up there, took him to the fire department. And these guys, young guys like you guys, I mean, young, young men now, young fire, just love him. So that kind of thing, again, trust. He trusts everybody, see, he trusts everybody. So that's a, it's such a positive thing, right? So again, with Paul, he and I do stuff together, right? We wanna, you gotta give back. So legacies are what you make of it. So you asked about books. You know, when I was, the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People came out in 89. I checked mm-hmm. it last night because I, that's like one of my Bibles, right? Yep. So I read that book and said, this crystallizes a lot of what my thinking has been. But I didn't realize it until I actually read it. Begin with the end in mind, right? Yep. When I read that book, I said, man, this is sharpen the saw. All those phrases that which I kind of buy into. But I had been living a lot of those things. And then a book came out when I was like 37, 38 years old. I said, man, this really makes sense to me. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we've talked about that book a lot on this podcast. Uh, right. In fact, Joe Sweeney and I talked about oh, that yeah. book on this uh, podcast because it's just, yeah, I mean, you read any business list, any business leader, they give their top 10 books, that's always in there. Oh, it's, you know, it's just fantastic. And I read that and I, I always kept that card in my wallet to refresh my memory on what those habits are because I, I want to be reminded about what I should be and how I should, you know, do things. Yeah, my first daily planner was a Franklin Covey oh, sure. planner. planner. And still yeah. had those great quotes. And now, obviously, the son of uh, yeah. Stephen Covey wrote mm-hmm. the uh, Seven Habits, yeah. but either way, uh, the principles from the father and the son are yeah. fantastic. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, are all your kids lawyers? No, no, two of the three. Two of the three. So I was the like, oldest, Willie and a, yeah, so the Ellie. oldest, Ellie, is an environmental lawyer in D.C. My middle daughter has a master's in social work in Milwaukee. She's got three kids, like you, six, well, you have four, six, yeah. four, and two. Her husband, 
28 years of education, 34 years old. He's now got his first real job. He's an echocardiologist in Milwaukee, physician, Dan Harland. And Willie, uh, who knows your, obviously Jordan. Willie is uh, leaving for Tommy Lindholm, by the way, a bachelor party today in uh, Maine. Um, Willie's a CPA lawyer like me for the firm in Milwaukee, married and you know doing great. Yeah. I think he's, I shouldn't probably say this public. I think he's maybe on the verge of maybe having kids, but we'll see, right? Yeah. We'll see. Who knows? Yeah, that's up to him. Who knows? We'll, we'll see. So, who knows? Yeah. so that uh, obviously education's played a super important role in your life, and you're really right. keen on why. Right. Why is education so important to you? Sure. Well, let me just say this to you: education isn't just degrees. Correct. I want to be clear. Yep. I want to be clear here. Good. So. You know, my dad had an eighth grade education, okay? My mother had a high school education and she said education's critical. But I learned from both my mother and my father. My mother was more of a book learning person. You know, my mom didn't get married till she was 30 and she was an insurance exec at a small insurance agency. My mom was a professional in the 40s, okay? And my dad had an eighth grade education, started his own business. So I learned practical and, and books, right? I learned both. So my dad, ah, oh, too many people go to college. You gotta get, you gotta be a, you gotta be a tradesperson. He was a baker or all this. He was smart enough, but, but eighth grade education. Yeah. Turns out my wife's family was the same way. Dad, eighth grade education, five years in the World War II, just like my dad started a construction business. So I've always believed that education is two pieces, books and day-to-day and -day effort, okay? Yeah. And so, yeah, I believe education matters. I, I hope every day I learn something. To show you the difference to trust versus cynicism, I had a law school roommate, great guy, great high school basketball player, played against him in high school, met him in college. He went to De Pere Pennings, the old Catholic boys school in, in De Pere. I'd say, Jimmy, every day I learn so much. He'd say to me, but Joe, I forget more than I learn every day. He said, Jimmy, you're 22. You can't be forgetting more than you're, than you're learning. Yeah, yeah. So Experts say that you are the average of the five people you hang out with and the books that you read. We'd like to suggest the podcast that you listen to as well. So hit that subscribe button and add Madison's top leaders to your circle. We'd also encourage you to share this podcast with as many friends as possible. Our mission is simple, to inspire people and impact lives. If you know of a friend or colleague that could benefit from listening to some of Madison's top leaders, give us a share. Now, back to our guest. You know, Susan is, you know, has a master's degree in music performance and a law degree and I have a law degree and an MBA as well as an undergrad and all the kids, uh, the minimum degree is, in, is a master's degree. Our, uh, our daughter-in-law, Claire, Willie's wife, uh, is now going on perhaps to get a PhD and he's got a law degree. My other daughter has a law degree, a daughter with a master's degree, a physician in the family, and my son-in-law, Stephen, with a master's degree in business. I mean, so, but as I said earlier, it's not just a, the, the credentials. They all have practical experience too. They've combined the two, which makes it just all the better. So. Uh, we know that a lot of so you've talked about experiences. You've talked about uh, some of the people in your life that have played right. a played a role in you. We also know that there's some successes right. that that leave a legacy. Right. Well, how do you think about success? Yeah. So I think, you know, I I I, I really thought about this a lot because I've been in two different worlds: the bakery world, the food world. I, was, I started Cleary's Frozen Custard in Madison. The food world. I was a baker's son, and I worked at the bakery, and I'm a lawyer. The beauty of being a baker is when you start at nine or 10 o'clock at night, you put flour and water together and get a loaf of bread. It's quick and great. That's a success, right? You made yep. some food that's tasty. Yep. As a lawyer, as you guys know, as financial people, it takes sometimes years to get people, you're educating people, 
to better their lives yeah. financially, right? That's what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. And you guys are doing a great job of it. Northwestern is just a fantastic place. You guys are doing a great job. I'm trying to do that through the legal venue, right? Through the legal aspect, yeah. right? Trying to get people to, to improve their lives by being smart about the law and how they use it, right? That takes a long time. Mm -hmm. So I've had to learn lots of patience. So success, how do you measure success? To me, it's do I make a meaningful difference in somebody's life? Do I make a meaningful difference in my own life? In my first of all, my own life, my kids' life, my wife's life, my you know, you, you go from in, in internal to out, right? Yeah. I I love that you said that because we've talked about that frequently. And I had a conversation with a new recruit about this, uh, where she actually admitted to um, putting everyone else first. You know, okay. she was single mom, stuff of that nature. And I'm sitting there going, have you ever wondered why on an airplane, every time we sit down, they tell us to put our air oxygen mask on first before assisting others? And she goes, no. I was like, well, you've heard him say that, right? And she goes, yeah. I was like, because you can't help anyone if you're dead. So that's, you're right about that. And it sounds selfish, doesn't it? So you know, I've always believed, and it does. This is going to sound selfish, but I've said it to my wife. I said it to my kids. I said it to everybody. If you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else. Correct. And you're right. And the first thought is, it does sound selfish. It, that and, and it may even feel selfish. Yes. And, and the point is to not take it to such an extreme where you're neglecting others. Right. But you have to be healthy yourself, mentally, physically, emotionally, financially, to to, mentally, financially, yeah. everything. Yeah. You have to. If you don't have the financial strength. The, the emotional strength, the physical strength to do things, you can't help anybody else. So yeah, you gotta take care of yourself. When I've had crises in my life, and I probably had two or three of those that were really got at the core of, am I doing the right thing and I, have I screwed up? I said, I have to take care of myself, I gotta get through this. And my wife was, the, the, the first one that happened was a financial issue, a business I owned that cratered uh, after the custard business, and it didn't ruin our life by any means, but it was a struggle, right? Yeah. And it wasn't a law business, thank God. It was a, a other business. But uh, I, I questioned my 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 you know whether I could do things right. Yeah. And I started disbelieving in myself. And and she said, "Hang in there," and you know all that. So uh, you're right. Got to take care of yourself first. Oh, that's yeah, good. Yeah. You know, another part of success is obviously your business life. I mean, I I yeah. started out by talking about my family is the most important thing. It's clearly true. But to have a a wonderful family and all of the ability to do what you want to do, you have to have a wonderful business career. And in the early '80s, I met Charles Nider. Charles Nider is, is a wonderful person you're ever going to meet. We've been business partners for 35 years. That's unheard of today. He's a wonderful guy, brilliant guy, hardworking guy. His values are off the charts. He's been a wonderful partner. So without that behind the scenes kind of uh, talk more about family here than business but without that uh, you don't have the opportunity to build your family and do some of the things that you do so I'm forever grateful to Charles he's been a terrific uh, business partner so I love the definition of success and making a meaningful impact on others right um, I think that that's incredibly uh, have you ever heard of the exercise because uh, I had this in a leadership class mm -hmm. have you heard of the exercise to um, write your own eulogy yeah, I have. And I, and I, you know, it's interesting because my dad died at 59 and I'm now 67. And I've honestly hear, hear him once in a while said, I don't want to die suddenly and not have, by the way, I think I'm, I go to doctor of physical, I think I'm pretty good health. But um, I don't want that to happen. I really would like to have something ready. Uh, but you kind of keep going on the back of your head. You know, it's kind of one of the, you know, I tell my students when I meet with them, I say, you know what? 
I'm not going to tell you not to have your computer in class. I'm not going to tell you to have your phone in class. You know why? Because even when I was your age, I had eight or nine things going on in my head at one time, right? Yeah. In my day, it was an eight-track tape player, right? And so I get it. So this is one of those tracks in my head that goes back there. I'm thinking, should I do this? Should I do this? Yes, I've heard of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it was an interesting thing. Not to like write my own for someone else to read. It was given to me as a task to do to find my deeper purpose oh. and what people want to, yeah. uh, what I would want others to say about me if the well, end was like Covey, That's yeah, what Covey says. What are people night? saying at your funeral? They're not saying, should he should have worked more. Yeah. Right? Right. They were saying what, probably what they said about your dad and how much of a giver he was. Yeah, yeah, he gave a lot to me. But see, here's how life evolves. I want to be honest with you. So I can say it evolves. Not honest. Or unpeel more of the onions. So, you know, I have a, my dad was married before World War II. I have two half sisters. I didn't know that. I knew, I was told that these were, Nola and Jane were, I, I was lied to as a kid, right? And then my dad dies and I said, mom, tell me the truth about Nola and Jane. Well, they're your half sisters, your dad was married before. So my mom tells me that, that was a relief to know mm -hmm. and this and that. So now, but my mother never filled the whole story up. So we went to Hawaii where, where Nola lives on a long trip and I spent a day with her and she revealed this to me. She said, your mother was an unbelievable woman. I said, well, I kind of knew that. Well, it was even more than you thought. I said, what do you mean? She didn't marry our father for five years after they met. My mom apparently had a meaningful impact on him, see? Which is was totally, my mom was a strong woman, right? Mm -hmm. She raised us, she ran a business, but my mom was an Irish Catholic beer drinker. My mom would be today called a functioning alcoholic. She, ne she never missed a beat. This is my mom. But you know what? One of my regrets, if I have three or four in my life, one is I didn't appreciate, you know how this goes, I didn't appreciate my parents as much as I should have. Yeah. yeah. My dad died at 18. I was angry at him. Why did you die, dad? In the last six or seven years, he was laid up. He had heart problems. Why, why is it, you know, I was mad at him, right? Yeah. And then my mom, I'm struggling with my mom because she wants me to take leadership in the family because I'm a go-getter. And Joe, would you help me run the business? And you were the oldest. Yeah. yeah. Would you talk yeah. to your brother, Patrick? My brother, Patrick had issues. And would you help Patrick out? And I said, mom, I got to, you know, and, and so I'm kind of struggling with her. And then I realized, what am I doing? Mom is terrific, right? But it took me to my mid-20s to realize how wonderful my mother was. And I didn't even know until after she died, even how really wonderful she was. So see, we evolve, right? Yeah. That's my message. And I, and I, one of my messages. And so I hope I'm a different person two, three years from now than I am today or two or three days from now. Yeah, my, you know? well, my, my dad and, and through his business coach, who's also my business coach, who uh, just a tremendous person, this is like a nursery rhyme to me. Yeah. You're either green and growing or ripe and rotting. Jordan, Jordan and I and our other siblings heard this our entire life. And so that's a theme that uh, oh. that I go. And so you, you're right to you know, continue to grow, continue to sharpen the saw. Another right. just Continue to personal. evolve, yeah. right? Continue to evolve. Right. So going back to your 18 to 25, as you just said there, mm -hmm. what advice would you give someone that's been through tragedy yeah. to potential? Because you went through a long stage of grief. Right. Oh, yeah. So there's many right. stages of grief, but right. but you seem to, based on what you just said there, be stuck in anger uh, for, for a long duration of time. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to someone that's lived or living through or about to live through a tragedy like that? Well, one thing I tell them is to seek help from others, friends, colleagues. So, again, I mentioned earlier, I'm friends, good friends with Mark Burrish. Uh, Mark's dad, Ben, was like a second father to me. Uh, Mark was one of my close friends in high school, and we were law school roommates, and uh, we stood up in each other's weddings. And Mark's dad 
help me. So, you know, I, I, I probably overstating my anger, but uh, I don't think I was as, um, as composed as, I didn't lose my temper or anything, but I, I'm just saying, uh, you need you reach out to others is my message. Yeah. You know, talk to others and and usually older people older than you with more perspective than you have, right? Because your colleagues, I'll tell you what it made me do. You know, I, I I was a young guy. I liked to have a good time, but I couldn't. I had to get up every morning yeah. to work. I I had no money. I had yeah. to pay for everything. I couldn't just blow off days of day. I couldn't blow any time off. Yeah. So I learned one of my strengths was I had a high energy level. I could keep going and going. So even if I had to, I screwed around the night before I was still up the next day. Yeah. You know, I worked at a bakery. Those are long hours, hard hours. You know, you got to work, you know. Yeah, well, I just wanted you to say that or at least give some advice there because I feel we're getting more and more awareness on it, but especially your generation was right. told to suck it up and rub some dirt on it and just, just that man, isn't man true. up. And, that and, isn't true. Right. You need help. We need to talk to people. I, I, I didn't do any of those things. I, I, I put on a tough face, but I told you I had a college guy. When I got to Madison, I sought people out too. I met Joel Maturi. I met people like that. Then I got in professional areas. I found older men that I respected. I went to all the time. You know, it was cheaper than a psychiatrist right yeah, yeah. and they got to know me better right and uh, so I can name names of people I don't want to do so who are 10 15 years older than me who helped me for years and years and years yeah. there were coaches now you yeah. talk about yeah. though they were kind of my mentors coaches, my coaches. mentors yeah, yeah absolutely father saw, figures whatever I sought those people out big time yeah. and I and I relied on them I called them I said I got a problem can I come over go over and sit in their living room and say can you help me with this yeah Oh yeah. So ask, yeah, ask. So you want to put on a tough face, but behind that, you're working on it, right? You're working on it. So let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Who, and there's probably been many, but if you could narrow it down for us, who's been your biggest inspiration? Biggest inspiration. Wow, that's a good question. You know, um, you know, my mother. I mentioned my mother before. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard not to be motivated by my mother. Uh, my father-in-law. He was just an amazing guy, Susan's dad. I mean, here's a World War II vet who's lost body, body parts uh, in his career as a contractor, who just was a, you know, he was a rub it, rub, you know, he was the other generation, right? The good generation, whatever they called him. Um, just a try quietly see, you'd be in a room with him, he never talked to you, but you'd love the guy. <laughs> so he was a huge influence on me, my father-in-law. Um, some of these mentors, I don't want to mention their names, local yeah. people. Yeah. Uh, those have all been uh, inspirational. So there's, so there's been many. Oh, yeah. uh, was, was there any common traits that you saw with those people uh, or that you happen to seek out? Or maybe in hindsight, uh, there was some commonality with the top three traits well, or, uh, you know, or maybe think, values. Yeah, even. yeah. I mean, I think, well, they're givers. Mm-hmm. They're givers. They're passionate. I mean, I think you have to believe in what you, you know, and they're confident. I don't know how you can get high in life unless you believe in yourself, right? So you have to believe and be passionate and, you know, and, and know your strengths and weaknesses, you know, evaluate, your, constantly evaluate yourself. I mean, I knew early on, there are again, smarter people than me and better athletes than me, but I also knew that I was, a, I, I could work, outwork almost anybody else, yeah. that I had a high intensity level I could bring to the, so you had to know what your strengths were. And these, and you meet people who can kind of complement those strengths and bring those out of you, you know? Yeah. yeah. So as you say, you're great growing and some of these people helped you grow and you want to be someone different two, three years from now. Yeah. Let's shift a little bit to vision. How does vision play a factor for you? Um, how long or how future, far in the future do you see when you're trying to create a vision? Yeah, so that's a great question. And let me answer it this way. So a little personal story about our family. So my in-laws were wonderfully successful and, and left a little money for each of our kids. 
And so this is when Willie was a senior in high school or so. My father-in-law died and this money came to the kids. I said, so here's our financial plan. And you kind of see it as it's evolved. We paid for Ellie's college, but she's got to pay for grad school. When you get done with grad school, we'll help you. We'll take you on a trip somewhere and we'll help you buy a home. We'll give you a down payment for a home. Uh, but you know, the other thing you can't afford in the next 20 years of your life is to travel. And we've traveled all over the United States and we now want to travel internationally. So why don't you save this money from grandma and grandpa? Why don't you save this money? And we'll invest it and you pick a destination, right? Go to every couple of years. Mm. So think about it, right? Think about whether you want to do that. So they said yes to that. That is one of the best things that's ever happened in our life and in our family. So every two years, we go somewhere for eight to 10 days with our children. And it started out with just the three kids. Then there was Steven. Then there was Dan. Now there's Claire. Yeah. And so we've been, we're planning a trip for the fall of 2020. We're going to- and uh, These accounts are still utilized oh, to, yeah. for the trips? I have more money so it's not So it's not just you guys paying no, for it? No, we don't pay for it. They pay for it. It's their money that I've managed for the last 15 years. I have more money than I was given. And next fall, we're going to Eastern, uh, Western Europe uh, on a Rhine Great. River trip. Last year, we went to Nicaragua on a resort in Nicaragua. Two years before that, we went to Cuba. Two years before that, we went to Belize. Two years before that, I can't remember the order anymore. Ireland, um, uh, Northern Europe, the Danube River, to Egypt. We've been all over the world with our children. And talk about legacy. Yeah. And right. here's the thing. I have people all over the political spectrum in our family from very liberal to very conservative and everything in between. Mm -hmm. And we all get along because we travel together and we have fun together. You know, it's a wonderful thing. Well, and you have face-to-face uh, -face conversations yeah. versus yeah. postings on social media. Yeah. So. Yes, exactly. Face -to -face. So to answer your question, when we first started doing this, Susan looked at me and said, time out. Why are we going to Egypt? I said, we got to sit down for a minute. I said, my dad died at 59. And by that time, my mother had died. My mom was 77. Now, my mom died early because she drank, uh, not the drinking didn't kill her, it was smoking. She smoked herself to death. Mm. But Susan's parents both lived into their 90s and they were still living. So I said, dear, what do you think of your life expectancy? You're gonna live to 90. Mm -hmm. And your grandparents lived to 90. My dad, I said, I don't think that way. I think I gotta live every day. Talk about time here. I gotta live every day as if it's the most important day of my life because I don't know how many more days I'm gonna have. Yeah. I said, so I'm going to live it. And even high. though you're healthy right now. Yeah, as far as yeah, you, know, yeah. you don't know, yeah. right? So my perception is right now we're doing very vigorous thing. We're going to Patagonia to hike for two weeks in, uh, in January. Last year I went to South Africa for two weeks. Here before I went to New Zealand hiking for two weeks. We're going to bike in Italy in the fall. So I'm doing all these active things while I'm still... So my vision is I want to keep being active physically as long as I can and travel and learn and there's gonna come someday when I'm probably not able to do that. So yeah. I'll do the easier travel, the European stuff. Susan, Europe's great. I said, dear, but you can go there when you're 80. Lay on a beach when lay, you're 80. Yeah, yeah, 80. I'm not gonna lay on a beach. Yeah. We Last weekend went to Manawak and hiked. To, uh, we, we biked 30 miles a day for two days. You know, uh, you know, I wanna be active, right? Well, so, I wanna say kudos to you and your vision with the kids. And then also kudos to the kids you raised for the mature yeah. decision in their teens. Yeah. to have the foresight to allow you to manage that bunny and create these experiences. Yeah. I don't know how many teenagers would be like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, dad, save the money versus I, I want a new car or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So Yeah, well, thank you for that. I, You know, I, as I say, you know, you, you got to first deal with yourself. Then it's your spouse, right? You work with each other and then it's your kids and then it goes from there, right? 
And I, I, I'm a lucky guy. When yeah. I when I ran into Jordan earlier, I said, "Hey, how's it going?" I said, "If I'm complaining, I said to you, if I'm complaining, something really wrong here, you know, because <laughs> things are good, you know." And I feel, but some of it's, you know, what the luck part is, health. I can't predict yeah. what my health is going to yeah. be. Yeah. I can't predict. I can only do the best I can, right, to take care of myself. And so can they. If something goes wrong, like I did with Paul, he, I'm going to deal with it, right? I'm going to deal with it, no matter what happens. We're going to deal with it. But uh, as long as I have good health, which is the luck part, you got to keep it, right? You got to exercise. You got to keep mentally and physically going. But after that, it's about doing stuff, right? It's about taking control of your life, using every minute, yeah. right? Don't accept, you know, this thing about you guys being with your kids. I did that in the prior generation where guys still were supposed to work all the time. Yeah. And I said, no, 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 no. I want to be with my kids, coach sports and do yeah. this stuff. So. Yeah, so speaking of coaching, here's a question from one of your former players, yeah. Chris Anasetti. Yeah. So what made you go the extra mile with believing in people and inspiring people? Well, as I think I said a little earlier, it came to me early on and quite uh, genetically. I, you know, I, I, I was born and then uh, two or three years later, my brother Paul gets born. And I said, wow, wow, I'm a lucky guy. I got to help out. You know, I got to help out. And I ended up having to help my siblings out. I mean, my sisters were in grade school when my dad died, uh, young. And mom said, can you help them? And then I, you know, so... And they were how many years older than you? I, well, my sisters are nine, seven and nine years younger. I'm the oldest. I'm, I'm nine years older than my youngest sibling. Okay. And so my oh, I was brother, thinking about your half-sisters, I think. Oh, my half-sisters yeah. are like 15 years older. Okay. I didn't really know them well. You yeah. know, this was kind of this mystery thing. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, and my uncle, my uncle came back from World War II and the Korean War. He said this, this was his, his, he adopted son Chuck. I don't believe that anymore. Yeah. He was half, he was half Japanese. I now know that he was probably not. Yeah. An adopted child, right? I mean, and those, when I grew up, people didn't tell you the truth. Yeah about all this stuff, right? They didn't tell you the truth. And that's not a good thing. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I distracted you. Back no, to the no, question no, no. believing in people, inspiring people. Well, I think I think I just, that was, I was born that way. I don't, but here's the thing, you gotta then realize it and use it. That's what I'm trying to say to you. I don't think it was magic. I wasn't born a cynic like my brother Patrick. I was born kind of a, like my brother Paul, kind of positive and, you know, and, and so gotta use it. So, but when you have positive experiences, right? It just keeps it going. We talk about success, positive experiences. Not everyone has a positive experience, but you know, a good, good, good example. Willie's in a law firm in, in Milwaukee. A guy there by the name of Grant Kaloran Jr. works there. Grant's probably 50. Grant's dad was the high school basketball coach at Green Bay Promontory High School in, in the in late 60s, early 70s. He died young of cancer, okay? His son now is a lawyer in Milwaukee, okay? Grant is looking through his mother's stuff when his mother dies just a couple years ago and comes across what was called a program for a high school basketball tournament in 1969. Well, it was a piece of paper, right? From the Regional Catholic Basketball Tournament in Green Bay. There are eight teams in it. I'm on the Marinette Catholic Central team with my buddy, Mark Burrish. The Green Bay Promontory team has my buddy, Jay Everard, who's one of my close friends who's here at U.S. Bank. And on the Abbott Pennings team is a guy by the name of Jim Martin. I mentioned his name earlier. Guess what? We played high school basketball together against each other in 1969, and we were law school roommates in 1975. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm serious. And all by these, chance, yeah, not yeah, by choice. By, by total, uh, no, I, Mark was my good friend, and Jay was my good friend. Jimmy, it just worked out. Now, 50 years later, we're still good friends. 
you know, how's that, how's that for how it works, you know? And, and so you connect the dots, you know, Jobs talked about in his, in his speech at Stanford about connecting dots. I mean, that's 50 years later. So Grant Cloran pulls this out and says to Willie, he says, your dad's name is on here. And Willie says, not only my dad's name, but his three roommates from law school. <laughs> Grant says, you're kidding. So I'm at the concert on the square last night, US Bank thing. And Tim LeBron, if you know Tim, Tim's a really motivated guy your age. You should get to know Tim. Tim went to Green Bay Promontory. Was a good friend of Grant Caloran. Again, connecting. Hey, Tim, I didn't know you know Grant. It's I, such a small it's world. small world. And he works with my son. So, you know, all those things kind of play out. You know, and if you're, again, you're paying attention. If you're attention, paying attention. If you're exactly. paying attention and you care, you know. But I, those are things I just do. I don't, you know, but I, I, I've taken advantage of it because I know I'm like that. Well, so you paid attention to the talent you had is right. what, I, what I heard there. Yeah. But also you you cared enough to want to. Oh, yeah. And I think that's the second step. Yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah, you, some people may have these talents versus right. some people being more cynical, right. but you also have to want to get outside of yourself and, and really give right. and bleed into others. Oh, absolutely. So. You know, I, I think by current definitions, I have attention deficit disorder. I couldn't sit down for exams for two or three hours. It was too hard to do. You know what? I actually observed <laughs> that about you watching both my younger brother and your son play football. I don't think you ever sat down. I never sat down. You were pacing I along pacing the fence the, line. I was pacing every all the time. single game. I saw you. I was pacing all the time. I'm, I'm a pacer, right? What can I say? <laughs> yes, I am. Well, you're, I, you're, that's an accurate. That's an accurate characterization. Usually, but, arms crossed around your hips. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, yeah, I wasn't yelling or screaming. I was just pacing. Yeah. You know, no. I was. I just. That's who I am. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. funny you said that because Susan I had that immediate memory yeah, coming yeah, back yeah. and watching you. Watch, yeah, pace. Yeah, basketball game same way. Susan would say, "Can you sit still?" I said, "I can't sit still." <laughs> Yeah. My wife, uh, even in church, my leg shakes up and down. She'll put her hand on it to try to get it to stop. Well, and and very uh, yeah. often, my leg just ends up shaking her arm so she'll move it. <laughs> so yeah. 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 <laughs> I have similar stuff there. Yeah. All right. So what? last question before I move into a couple exercises. What has been your uh, experience teaching at UW and what the university yeah. means to this community? And, yeah. and was that always a goal of yours to give back after you went there or, or just the, how did that evolve? Yeah, so that was just one of those lucky things, I guess. I mean, I was a student there from 74 to 5 and then I went to law school. Then I needed a couple classes to sit for the CPA exam, so I went back and I met a guy by the name of Jim Blakely. Jim became a, one of my mentors. Jim has now passed away. His son, a few years younger than me, is a friend and client to this day. Met Jim, and then Jim in 1980, a couple other people came to me and said, we need a tax class taught every year. Would you teach it every semester? Would you teach I said, sure. So they asked me to teach in 1980, and I taught one class a semester. And then in, uh, the guy teaching a business law class, his name was Bob Hazy. Bob Hazy. Uh, he's now passed away. Bob was my high school American Legion baseball coach. He's from Marinette. <laughs> so Bob is teaching business law in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the business school, not the law school. And Bob was my coach and so on and so forth, uh, baseball coach. He got hired by Tommy Thompson to be the state insurance commissioner. So they said to me, would you like to teach the business law class? I said, sure. And the reason I did is I like being with young people. I like being with young people, 21-year-old, yeah. 20, 21, 22 are just one or, but again, people wanting to learn. You wanna be with people wanting to learn and yeah. they wanna learn. So now, I mean, they're younger than my children, right? I started out, I was had no kids and now I have grandkids. It's been a wonderful experience. I've met terrific number of wonderful people. You know, I feel like I can help them and they can help me, you know, kind of yeah. thing. So, yeah, so it's really fascinating to me, as I said before, that your passion, you can tell, is all around but outside of the legacy thing, you're a lawyer, but your passion's all around business. Oh, yeah. 
I'm a, I always say I'm a business person who's a lawyer. Yeah. That's who I am. The law was my, see, I had no capital. I had no money, see? So you can't buy a business when you have no money. So you can be a lawyer because, and then you can get to be an, a partner in a firm without very little money. So it was a natural for me. And I figured, see, I won't do anything I don't like or can't get passionate about because then you feel like you're prostituting yourself. You're not really believing what you're doing. You got to believe what you're doing. Yeah. When and, you believe, you are believed. Yeah, that's right. And I believe in what I'm doing. So when I realized that, this is where I'm going to go with it. But I'm a business person who's a lawyer. So part of, part of that question I, I, I glossed over uh, was I, I wanted to ask again, what do you think the impact of UW is on this community? Oh, it's unbelievable, right? I mean, it's just unbelievable. I, uh, I, I, I think this. Um, I have a brother-in-law whose son now works for us, actually, um, who always says, and I don't know if this is actually a true story, but he says it to me all the time. You know, Green Bay had a choice in the in the 1800s to pick a prison or a university, and we picked the prison in Green Bay. That's where he lives. Hmm. And you have the university. I said, yep. And that's a huge difference because that, back to education. Education brings smart people to bear in a community. If you can keep them interested and active, you're going to have a successful place, right? Yeah. So that's what this place is. I mean, when I came here in 74, it was all about government and university. In the last 45 years, wow, has it changed. Yeah. When you add in the epics and the promegas and now the exact sciences and all the other stuff, those are private businesses, right? Yep. The amount of private businesses, I've been working with entrepreneurs for 35 years. And when I used to go to the meetings, there were 10 people there. Now it's, it's unbelievably different. It's a wonderful thing. Just a wonderful thing. You know, just a quick story. I was on the city's economic development commission for five years uh, and chair for three. And one of the things we had a little piece of, but I'm proud of this piece, is we created a land bank, land bank system for the city of Madison. You know what properties we wanted them to buy? All those properties on East Washington Avenue that used to be owned by Don Miller and Goban and all those. You know why? Mm -hmm. Because they were contaminated environmentally. We said, we need to have the city buy them. Clean them so up. So the city can clean them up and turn them over. And now I go down East Washington Avenue, you know what I see? Building after building of young people and, and old people like me who want to live downtown. It's just unbelievably different. Yeah. This is a vibrant community. And it's because all of us are pitching in, right? All of us are pitching in. Yeah. So what do you think, because uh, this is something that I don't necessarily hear in the business school as much, and I wish it was more of a focus yeah. of theirs, is and you have a, a huge amount of influence and have in the startup community of retaining our talent here in town versus them being... So here's an article that really pissed me off. Uh, and I don't know that it should as much, but the, maybe it's because of the industry I'm in. Yeah. You know, UW Business School is bragging about their pipeline to Goldman Sachs in New York City. Well, let me, I was like, yeah. those are people that I could hire right here in the local community. <clears throat> I'm one of the business owners supporting you. So I think there's... I think there's two sides of the coin, right? As us as business owners continue to support the university, but also the university giving back to us. Yeah, so let's talk about that. I think that's a valid point. <clears throat> most of my students, <clears throat> excuse me, most of my accounting majors want to work for the big four accounting firms. And when they come to me and say what they should do, I say, go for it if you want, but I think it's a mistake. Why is that? I said, you have accounting firms in this town that are just as good as them and you're not gonna be fighting the bureaucracy and the yada, yada, yada that you're gonna win those firms. But you know, there is a certain attraction, no matter how you cut it, to when, when you're, you know, let me just put it this way. You play football whitewater, right? Yeah. Had you been and continued to play, I think, but you quit at some point? Yeah, yeah two okay. years But ago. let me just say, you're Jake Kummerow. You know who he is now, yep. right? 
Jake's playing for I the Packers. I don't have as pretty a hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yours hair isn't as pretty as his? Oh, he's got flowing locks. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I guess it hangs out the helmet. It does, yeah. 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 Well, here's what I'm getting at. If you had been him at Whitewater, wouldn't you have sought the NFL? Would you have yeah. sought the NFL? Yeah, it's a dream. Right? Yeah. So if you're a top-level accounting student or a finance professional at UW Business School, do you go for the big time? I think the lure is big. Yeah, the lure is definitely The lure. Big. Now, do I think that's the right decision for many of them? No. But they don't know any better. Yeah. They're an undrafted free agent at Goldman Sachs. They're an undrafted free agent with Price Waterhouse, or right? KPMG or K whatever. Right? I'm just saying, you would have done it. Yeah. So in defense of the UW, I'd say that's part of the issue, right? Now, uh, when you attract that kind of talent, we have, what, 14 or 15 CEOs of major companies, more than anybody in the country. That's a talent we're getting. So the lure to go big time is high. And that's always going to be there. It's sure. always going to yeah. be there. So my hope is that they realize that when they get to be 30-something and they're going to have a family that living in New York City or Chicago, right? This isn't ideal. Well, I, look, I'll give you a quick story. 2012, Willie's in law school in the fall. Obama's going to speak on the Baskin Wall, okay? I have tickets for it. And I'm teaching at the business school. I say, Willie, take my tickets, I can't go. He says, oh, Dad, I gotta study. I said, Willie, you're an idiot. I said, you know, he's gonna be here once. This is a chance in a lifetime for you. You should. Yeah, when's the last time? When's the last time you're gonna hear a president speak yeah. there? You should yeah. do this. The law school's closed down, you ought to do it. So I'm literally driving into Granger Hall at 1.30, 1.35, my class is at 2.30. He's out on the west side in our office out here, out this way. Dad, I've changed my mind, I don't wanna go. I turn around, I go get him, I come back, he goes to hear the speech, and I teach. So what's it, at the end of the day, oh, it was great, I'm glad. So, so what's, it, what's my takeaway, Willie? I'm glad you heard Obama talk. I said, but could you have done that in Chicago? Could you have done that in New York? What do you mean, Dad? I said, what do you mean? I turned around and took 10 minutes to go get you and brought you back. In Chicago, it's a full day experience. Yeah. It wastes the yeah. whole day. Uh, at least a half a day. Yeah, yeah, at least a half a day. I said, here, it took an it took two hours. I said, that's I can do things in my life here that I, I draft laws, I do all this stuff. I said, I couldn't do it in New York and Chicago because the logistics, the transportation, waste of time yeah. is enormous. So that's the place, see, if they really think about that, as they mature, they'll say, my daughter, she overpaid for a house in Arlington, Virginia. You know why? It's 10 minutes from work. Yeah. She was living in Silver Spring, Maryland, hour each way. It was a total waste of time. So our pitch here is, wouldn't you want to live in a, a, a community with the logistical size that you can see a president, yeah. you can go to the Overture Center, you can see Wisconsin football, you can drive to Milwaukee to see the Bucks. you can, you know, you do all this stuff, in an easier way, see? Yeah. It's, it, you, can, you can go to Milwaukee and see the Bucks play as quick as you can get from Silver Spring, Maryland to downtown DC. This is just nuts, <laughs> right? That that's true, isn't it? It is. So that's the pitch, see? Yeah. But you don't get that when you're 22, do you? Time is, you got so much time. You know what, the 22 year old thinks they're, they're, they're busy. They're not busy. They have nothing to do, but they think they're busy, right? You, you thought you were busy, didn't you, Chad? Yeah. And now, when you get to be 30, 32, you got a career, you got a family, now you're busy. Yeah. You're not busy at 22. So they have no problem. I can drive an hour either way. Their perspective is that's the busiest they've been in their life. life but they yeah. don't know. They don't yeah. know. They don't know what they don't know, yeah. right? Exactly. Their parents tell them they don't listen to their parents. 
So I think that's part of it. Now, I'm not defending UW. I do think there may be more emphasis on that than there should be, but there's also that pull yep. that you can't. Yep. My kids don't want to live in Madison. They think Madison's too small. I'm going, you're crazy for the reasons I just yeah. told you. But you know what, what can I say? Yeah, and uh, maybe they'll discover it or maybe they'll create a life for there and, you know. If they do, they do. You know, you can only offer them the option. You can't make them do it. Lead a horse to water. I use that phrase, lead a horse to water. Can't make them drink. Can't make them drink. That's right. All right, so let's wrap up. This has been an awesome conversation. We could probably do it uh, for another hour. But uh, I want to play a word association game with you. Sure. Your your task is to only repeat one word, max of three. Okay. Okay? So I'm going to say a word and the first word that comes to mind, all right? Okay. Mentorship. Friendship. Regret. Uh, the death of my father, how I handled it. Okay. Intensity. Important. Coaching. Critical. Family. Most important thing there is. Youth. Nice to have it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Vision. Um, tells you what road to go on. Dream. Got a dream. Got a hope. Pride. Got to have it. Susan. Oh, I love her. <laughs> Integrity. Oh, it's a must. My two favorite words now. Inspire. Essential. Impact. Um, I want to have it. Awesome. Great job. Oh, okay, thanks. There. All right, so wrapping up, I always ask guests, your favorite book of either all-time or most recent read that you think people should know about? Well, I mentioned the Covey book before. Um, I, I pick authors and I try to read most of what they do. Uh, I love Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. I love- uh, His Dave, research is great. Yeah, but David Marinus is a local guy. I just read his last book uh, called A Good American Family about his dad, Elliot Marinus, and his family. Uh, Gladwell, Michael Lewis, I mean, my gosh. I read every Michael Lewis book that comes out. So those are my favorite authors. Okay, cool. Uh, and how, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, how might they do that? Well, a couple ways. You can always call me, uh, 608-345-5370. Call me on my cell. I always call people back, 608-345-5370, or my my email address, uh, jboucher at niterboucher.com. And they can follow you on LinkedIn as well, right. oh, as yeah. you said. Yeah. Well, great. I really appreciate you taking the time today, Joe. This has been oh. a lot of fun. Oh, that's my pleasure. Stories, conversation was awesome. Oh, I know thanks. the audience is going to get a lot out of it. Okay. So uh, for our listeners, if you enjoyed today's podcast, found it valuable, please leave a review and share with your friends. Uh, again, we're trying to have as much impact as possible, so I want to share that. And follow us uh, at Josh Kosnick. Chad always puts out previews of the episodes and uh, gets your interest in listening to the whole thing. So have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of Inspire People, Impact Lives. If you've been inspired today, please share this episode with as many people as possible so that together, our impact is exponential. Exponential.